Colossians chapter 3. Just by way of review and foundation, as we've been going through the book of Colossians, we've seen that it's one of the prison epistles written by the Apostle Paul. And he wrote it in response to his friend Epaphras, who actually started the church at Colossae. And Epaphras had apparently reached out to Paul because he was concerned about uh, the false teaching that was in the city of Colossae. It hadn't made its way into the church yet, but Epaphras was concerned that it would. And so Paul attempted to head it off at the pass. And two specific false teachings that he dealt with was legalism and mysticism. Legalism uh, is a works salvation. It is... You do this and you'll become worthy of God's love and salvation when the truth is that we could never earn salvation by our good works. Our sin is a legal offense against God. And there's no amount of good works that can remove your sin. There's nothing we can do to remove the broken laws. It has to be dealt with. The sin has to be paid for. And that's why Christ had to come. That's why salvation only comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But then mysticism is the belief that God gives you some sort of hidden knowledge through uh, maybe a vision or a dream or some type of experience that goes over and above His revealed will in Scripture. Uh, we, Paul saw it back then, we see it today. And so he was heading that off at the pass. And when you get to chapter 3, prior to chapter 3, Paul is, man, he's just giving such great doctrine about Jesus Christ and who He is. He's God and He's God in the flesh and He's the creator of all things and uh, the fullness of the Godhead uh, is in Him bodily. And he talks about our great salvation in Christ. And then he gets to chapter 3 and he completely shifts gears. And the, the entire, the, the transitional statement in the entire book of Colossians is chapter 3 and verse 1. He said, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. He says, okay, you know Christ, you know Him personally, you know Him mentally, you're saved, you're born again, prove it. You see, these things ought to have a practical outworking in our life, and if they don't, something's really wrong. Christ is not going to come in here in the presence of His Holy Spirit, make us a new creature in Christ, and leave us the same way that He found us. It's not going to happen. Now, we're not going to be perfect. Obviously, there's going to be battles. We're going to talk about some of those battles today. Uh, but remember, uh, being born again and being, uh, being changed and... Uh, having repentance, those things are not about perfection, they're about direction. Whereas I was going this way, now by God's grace I'm going that way, and though I may trip and fall, I'm still going that way and not that way. That's what it is. And then last week, we started a little mini-series. Uh, I think it's going to take me three messages to go through. This is message two. But that is how to win against sexual sin. And I know that people tend to get nervous when things like that are talked about and discussed, but I don't think I have to tell you that it's everywhere anyway. 
We might as well get it from the context of what God said about it because God has a lot to say about sexuality. The Bible has a lot to say about that. And I'll just go ahead and uh, give you the preface that I gave you last time. Uh, It doesn't make me uncomfortable at all to talk about this stuff because I'm just going to say what the Bible says. But if I notice some tension, and if I notice some that are uncomfortable, uh, I'm going to back the mule up and drop the plow and... Go even further with it. Y'all love me, don't you? I love you. That's why I mess with you. Listen, if I start treating y'all well, y'all know something's wrong, okay? But last week we specifically looked at how to win against sexual sin. And the two things we looked at is first of all recognizing the enemy within. We're going to read this text again in its entirety for context's sake. But what you're going to find is Paul is talking to born-again believers. And when he gives warning against sexual sin, he doesn't give any condition for that. He doesn't say, you know, if you ever have temptation or if you struggle with your thought life. No, he just presupposes that it's going to happen. And that's why this message is relevant for everyone regardless of what stage of life you're in. Because these things are real. Uh, The struggle is real. Uh, But the second thing we looked at is rejoicing in our marriage. The Word of God says, Drink waters from thine own sister and not another. That's talking about the the relationship within marriage. And so uh, one thing I want to reiterate before we go on even further. uh, You know, the church, uh, in large part, I would say over the last several decades have uh, they've really turned the subject of sex into one of those ooh factors. That the taboo, we don't talk about it, it's all bad, let's not talk about it, that's gross. But that's really not what the Bible says. The Bible says that within the confines of marriage, one man, one woman, one lifetime, that it's a gift, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, there's nothing to be ashamed of, the marriage bed is undefiled. And so uh, it is a good thing within the context and the boundaries that that God has placed upon it. And so we need to remember that as we go further. One more thing and then we'll get into it. I do want to remind you, I'm going to give you somewhat of a to-do list. I mean, we're trying to answer how to win against sexual sin. But I want to remind you, these are not things for you just to get all pumped up about, no, we're going to do this. No, I hope that as I walk you through the text and we see these things, that you begin to see just how overwhelming this issue is. Especially in the day in which we live, we cannot do it without submission to God. We cannot do this without total dependence upon the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. We cannot do this. And so I'm telling you things to do, uh, understanding that you can't do them without the power of God. And if I don't communicate this to you, I'm just going to place burdens upon you that's only going to make this thing harder. So I'm I'm giving you an Everest. You look at it and say, wow, that's too high to climb. Help me, God. That's what I'm doing this morning. I'm not giving you an Everest to say, all right, hit it. You can do it. No harness required. Hey, just barehanded. You can do it. That would not be good preaching. And so with that in mind... I'm going to back up and we're going to actually, I'm only going to preach through really one verse today. Everybody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Brother Brandon. 
But I'm going to read more to give you context. So let's look at this. Let's read the Word of God together, beginning in chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you're dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we're so thankful for a gospel that can set us free, for a salvation that's real and tangible. Lord, accomplished by Christ Jesus through His death, burial, and resurrection. Lord, I'm so thankful for the freedom that's in Christ. I pray that you would just fill me with your Holy Spirit, that you would empty me of sin and self, that only Christ would be magnified and seen today, Lord. I pray that you would give us victory, not only over sexual temptation, Lord, but also from any and all temptation, Lord, that we could just rejoice in the fact that greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. Lord, I pray that the preaching would be clear. Lord, it would be powerful. And Lord, you would just set us free today, Lord, and and set us on a journey, Lord, just building holy habits and total dependence upon you. Lord, if somebody's not saved today, I pray that they would repent of their sin and self-righteousness or they would place their trust solely in Jesus Christ to save them. It's in Christ's name and for His sake we pray these things. Amen. So this is part two of how to win against sexual sin. But most specifically, uh, we're going to look at victory over our thought life. Victory over our thought life. And so this can apply to many things. It's it's not just limited to sexual sin. Certainly our thought life uh, can be unchristlike in many areas. And the Bible talks a lot about the thought life, but specifically here it's in a sexual context, but it's much broader than that. So don't just be honed in on that alone. Um, So how can we win against sexual sin and how can we have victory over our thought life. Just a couple of things this morning. But uh, staying with my R's here, uh, we're going to look at running away when it comes to sexual temptation. Uh, Running away. This is really springboarding off where we left off last week. Look at the first part of verse 5. He says, mortify, put to death is what that means. Mortify, put to death, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. And then he gets specific. Fornication and uncleanness. That's the two we're going to deal with today. We talked about fornication a good bit last week. Fornication comes from the Greek word porneia. It's a very broad term. And it is the umbrella in Scripture under which all sexual immorality falls. As I mentioned, uh, sex outside of marriage, homosexuality, um, pretty much every sexual sin you can think of somehow falls under the umbrella of porneia. So it's very broad. Sexual immorality is what it's talking about. Um, and whenever I think about fornication, uh, my mind instantly goes to 1 Corinthians 
6 and verse 18. In fact, uh, I want you to turn there because I want you to see this. Go ahead and put your marker in Colossians 3. I do want you to see this text. First Corinthians 6 and verse 18. The Corinthian church had a lot of sexual sin within it, unfortunately. And Paul had a lot to say about that subject when he wrote to them. But he said in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 18, flee fornication, run away. And then he says, every sin that a man doeth is without the body, or it's outside the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so God commands us to run away from sexual sin, flee. And so not only does sexual sin defile the temple of God, but when it says that uh, fornication is a sin against our own body, I believe what it's talking about is that sexual sin leads to more sexual sin. You know, there are certain types of sins that you can do them and it doesn't necessarily put it in your heart to do it again or to do it at a higher level. Uh, when you give in to sexual temptation, it just seems easier to do it again. It's, it's a progressive thing. Uh, it, it causes a perversion within somebody's heart and mind and you really... Uh, become a slave to it. Now, have you ever wondered how people become so perverse in their sexual desires? It's because fornication is a, a sin against someone's own mind, heart, and body. Um, we need to run away. I think about Joseph whenever Potiphar's wife kept coming on to him and eventually got to the point where she pursued him so fiercely that he ran away and uh, she had ripped his garment from off of him. And, you know, Joseph was a godly man. He didn't stand around and say, oh, I think I can handle this. He ran. That's what we need to do. You know, the world frowns at that. They say that's cowardly, that's silly. You know, you, you ought not have any kind of boundaries. At all. That's what the world says. That's not what God says. And if we value our marriage, if we value our testimony, if we value our purity and being obedient to Christ, we'll do exactly that. We'll run away from it. Uh, it's so, man, this is so important when we're talking about sin in general, but I would say especially of sexual sin. We cannot always control the temptation, but almost without exception, we can control the opportunity. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once said, that if you have opportunity and no temptation, there's no sin. If you have temptation and no opportunity, there's no sin. But if you get temptation and opportunity together, it'll conceive sin every time. can't always control the temptation. You can control the opportunity. And most of the time, if we're honest, we know which situations are dangerous. We know which uh, situations will lead us into temptation and many times the battle is won before the opportunity comes along. It's just a level of our commitment to that. We need to understand that. 
Uh, Romans 13 and verse 4 says, Put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. This is really important right here. But just like giving in to sexual sin adds to sexual temptation, resisting temptation leads to a detox. I promise you it gets easier. It gets better. Um, I mean, the book of James says resist the devil and he will flee from you. Flee sexual sin. Run away from it. Um, I remember hearing a story one time about a football coach at an inner city school. Uh, his, his school and even some of his football team had a real problem with drugs and street drugs and things like that. And he was trying to think of a way uh, that he could scare these young men away from this lifestyle. He wanted something better for them. So he called the local sheriff's office and they were in on this. And, and so the, the sheriff's office had given this coach, of course the cops came along, given him some drug paraphernalia that they had confiscated off the streets. And what they did is they put all of this drug paraphernalia in this empty uh, fish aquarium. And they had laid it in the floor in the locker room and they put a blanket over it. And then they got another aquarium and they put a blanket over it as well. And he had all the football team come in here. And he said, boys, I want to show you something. And he, he said, I want you to come real close. And he said, I want you to look at this. And what he did is he pulled the, the blanket off of that aquarium that had the drug paraphernalia in it. And they're all looking at it they're like, oh man, I know what that is. And man, I've seen that before, you know. And they recognize it and they're real curious about it, looking at it. He says, all right, boys. He said, I want you to look at this over here. And the second aquarium, he said, now y'all come in close. I want you to see this, okay. And he, he, he pulled the blanket off and it was full of live rattlesnakes. And he said, those boys just, I mean, they just scattered like cockroaches, you know. It scared them to death. And he said, he said, what you did with the rattlesnakes, that's what you should have done with that right there. That's the way it is with sexual sin. Curiosity really does kill the cat. We ought to run away from it because it's too costly. We need to run away. But then the second point, and I really want to spend a lot of time on this this morning and then we'll be done. But not only running away from that, but a lot of that starts in the mind. That's why point number two, I want you to know about renewing your mind. The battlefield is in the mind. Look again at verse, uh, let's go back to Colossians 3. Colossians 3, and verse 5, he says, Mortify, put to death therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication. And then he says uncleanness. Now this word uncleanness, it, it means impurity. Uh, impure. And it, uh, it really speaks of our thought life. Whereas fornication has to do more so with the, the action. I believe impurity speaks more to the thought life. And by the way, the Lord isn't just concerned with our actions. He's also concerned with our motives and our thought life. God is very much concerned with that. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 28, He says, Whoever looks upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. What a strong statement about the motives and the thought life of individuals. God is concerned with our motives. I mean, we're, we're talking about putting to death the lust of the flesh and the mind. 
And one way that we can put something to death is by starving it, by starving it out. But unfortunately, and I know this is no news to you, but unfortunately we live in a day where it has never been more accessible to feed the lust of our flesh and the lust of our mind. We've all got a device in our pocket this morning that can lead to some very hellish stuff in a very, very short period of time. We've never had more access to it. Um, Never has there been such easy access to pornography and all kinds of filth that pervert the mind and heart of an individual. Uh, Pornography, you know, you often hear uh, about the gateway drug. Often, you know, some people call it marijuana, some people call it uh, alcohol, but but I would say pornography is also a gateway drug. It leads to all kinds of sexual sin. You know, some drugs go in your vein, some go up your nose. I'm telling you, pornography is the drug of the eye. It enters in through the eye gate. It's addictive and it causes all kind of problems and it even changes a person's uh, personality. This is also important. Man, this is, this is ground zero right here. If you don't get anything else, I say get this. Um, pornography, as I mentioned, I believe it is ground zero for this battle of purity. And if you cannot get victory over pornography, you will never get victory over purity and over sexual sin. But if you can get victory over pornography, you can get victory over everything else. And you say, well, Pastor Vaughn, we're in a church. There's a bunch of Christians in here. There's no need in talking about that. Listen, I'm not going to get into all the stats today, but I'm telling you, there's probably, I mean, if there's any, it's only a handful of churches across this whole country this morning that doesn't have somebody dealing with it. I mean, I heard a stat on AFR the other day. That I mean, this it really broke my heart, and it's scary, and it's staggering, but they said that, even as high as 6 in 10 professing Christian men have struggled with that at some point in time. It even said that a, a lot of pastors have struggled with that at some point. That's terrifying to me. But to say that, oh, I could never do that or nobody's struggling with that, listen, don't be naive. Don't, don't be so quick to say, I'm standing, you might just fall. And so this is important. If you can't get victory over it, you never will get victory over anything. But if you can get victory over it, you can get victory over everything else. And you say, well, why is that? Uh, well, I would say that por- pornography can be the most difficult thing to overcome as far as purity is concerned because it's easily accessible, it's free, it's private, and the consequences aren't as apparent as other types of sexual sin. Sometimes it's just too easy. That's why I think it can be so difficult. Uh, Getting victory over pornography and sexual sin is like drawing, a, uh, drawing back a, a compound bow. And I don't know if we have any bow hunters in here, but one of my favorite things to do in Alabama was bow hunt. I love to bow hunt. You would get in the tree stand and climb up real high, and you know, you had a deer walk by, you'd have to kind of step out, and you'd have to draw back on it. And with those compound bows, uh, like for my bow, the initial draw weight was about 75 pounds. Now, when you're pulling 75 pounds back with one arm like that, I mean, you know it's there. And you couldn't hold that for very long. 
But those compound bows have cams on the ends of them that have a release when you get it so far back. By the time you get it all the way back, you're only at about 25 pounds. And the, the relief that you feel when you get to that point is just, you just can't even imagine it. That's how it is with pornography and sexual sin. At first, it almost seems impossible. But if you'll just hang in there and keep struggling and keep praying and keep trusting in God, eventually you get to a point where it's like, oh man, that wasn't near as hard as I thought. Or it's kind of like when you're blowing up a balloon. Listen, you think I'm bad at wrapping Christmas presents. <laughs> Something else that I didn't get a superpower with was, was blowing up balloons. I feel like I'm going to blow my head up before I blow the balloon. But I do know that if you ever get past that initial resistance, it gets a lot easier, doesn't it? It's the same way with overcoming sexual sin and pornography and your thought life. At first, especially for a young Christian, I would say this. Uh, you know, you spent... I mean, think about this. For a new Christian, they've spent their whole life up to the point of conversion fulfilling the lust of the flesh and of the mind. They've been feeding that part of them. And even though, yes, Christ saves us in an instant, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit in an instant. We're saved to the uttermost, never to be lost again. Uh, God makes us a new creature. He turns us around. But we don't just shed everything on day one. Sanctification can be a battle. It's a lifelong thing in which Christ makes us less like us and more like Him. And so they're starting from day one. They're just learning to walk in the Spirit. They're just learning to study the Bible and to pray and all those things that... Uh, are really means of grace in the life of a Christian. And so, yes, there may be uh, some struggle there. And it may seem impossible. It may seem like, this. I'll never get over this. It may just seem overwhelming, like it's going to be like this for my whole life. But if we just hang in, trust God, resist the devil, submit to the Word of God, be in the house of God, I promise you, it's like it gets to that draw weight where there's a release. It, I'm not going to say it completely ever goes away, but man, it sure is a whole lot easier and more comfortable than it was. God can give you holy habits and break the old bad ones. And so you can get victory. So how can someone overcome a lustful thought life and or pornography? I put it all in the, in the same category there. You say, well, that's great, Pastor Vaughn. Yeah, I, I want to overcome my thought life. I, want to, uh, I don't want to just serve God... In my actions, I want to serve Him in my attitude, in my thought life, and the things that I think. Uh, it is many times easier said than done, but God gives us a formula for it. There's three things. You say, well, I thought you only had two. Well, I've got two with three sub-things, okay. <laughs> About how to have victory in your thought life. Three things and we're done. Uh, by the way, I think I need to throw this out here before I even get to my three things here which makes it four things, I guess, but anyway. There's a lot of... I'm seeing a movement today in the church where people are actually saying, you know, it's, it's not really a problem to have bad thoughts. It's just bad to act on them. No, it's bad to have bad thoughts, and it's even worse to act on them. God is concerned about our thought life. And, you know, I'm even hearing this, of course, you know, you would hear it from... You know, the LGBT crowd. I mean, they, they actually have a category of people. You don't call them pedophiles anymore. It's minor attracted persons. That's a new thing. Oh, it is, you know, it's okay to have those thoughts. You know, just don't act on them. 
even within the church, there's, there's people that are wanting to straddle the fence and saying, you know, well, it's okay to have you know, homosexual thoughts and desires. That's totally fine. You don't have to do anything about that. Just don't act on them. Friend, that's such a disservice to those people. And I do, I really do sympathize with people that are struggling with temptation and sin of any kind. But the solution is not to tell them it's okay to have those lusts, just don't do anything about it. That's like taking a Pepsi bottle and shaking it up and saying, all right, don't blow up. Don't blow up or taking some Mentos and putting a Pepsi bottle. If you've ever done I mean, I've never done that before, but <laughs> if you are, uh, or some aluminum foil, that works too. <laughs> but honestly, how, how silly would that be? I mean, you're literally, you're literally weighing somebody down. You're trying to destroy them. What you need to say is God can give you victory over these thoughts. He can give you victory over these things in your life. That's the message of the gospel. Not that God affirms us in our, our sin, but that He saves us from our sin. The penalty and the power of sin. And so here's what you need to understand about what God thinks about our thoughts. Uh, Proverbs chapter 6 gives a list of seven things that God hates. He says straight up, these things I hate. And one of those things is found in Proverbs 6 and verse 18. It says, God hates a heart that devises wicked imaginations. Wow. God hates a heart that devises wicked imaginations. I don't, I don't want that in my heart. If there's something God hates, I don't want it in my heart. Do you? So we don't need to act like it's innocent. And as I've said before, this is a perfect time to say it again, your feet can never take you where your mind has never been. It's dangerous to play with that kind of stuff. So we know that God hates these things, but how do we get victory over them? Three things and I'm done. Number one, if you're going to have victory over your thought life, you're going to have to prevent your access. I'm talking about access to pornography, access to the things that tempt you. And I listen, I know this is deep, okay? You're all taking notes, get ready for this, okay? But if you can't access pornography, you can't access pornography. This goes back to what I said about uh, making not provision for the flesh and running away from this kind of sin. Um, now listen, I know this is archaic. I know this makes me sound like a dinosaur. I've been called worse. But I know this is going to be hard for y'all to live with, okay? But smartphones just came out in 2007, okay? And most of us have been around a lot longer than they have. We lived life a long time before they ever hit the market. And if you had to, you could live without them again. Guess what? They still have cell phones that don't have Internet access. They still have cell phones that are not smartphones, and I know that you're thinking, no, I just couldn't, no. But listen, if that is your temptation, and that is your access point, and you're serious about your purity, and you're serious about gaining victory over your thought life and sexual sin and even pornography, you'll get rid of it for a season if you have to. I had a man years ago come in my office and I, I preached a message where I mentioned these particular points. And he came in there with a, an entire computer in his arms and laid it down in my office at the church. And I said, what's this? He said, this is my access point. He said, you preached the other day and 
Uh, we're stepping on my toes. And by the way, if, you're, if your toes get stepped on, it's because your feet are in the wrong place. And he came in there and he said, I, he said I'm, I love the Lord. I know I'm saved, but I struggle with pornography. He said, this computer is in my room. And I know that at least at the start of this journey, I'm not going to be able to overcome it as long as it's right there in my face. So I'm taking away the opportunity. And so he gave me that computer, and I got a computer out of it. So, you know, by the way, if you're having problems, you know, phones, computers, tablets, we take them all, you know. <laughs> of course, I didn't ask him for that. I wasn't expecting it, but it kind of sweetened the deal a little bit. But, but anyway, he, he, he overcame that, and that's how he started. And I was so appreciative of that, not only to be open about that, but to be so willing to take those kind of measures. And guess what? He didn't die. It's been years ago. He's doing just fine. Take away your access, whether it's smartphones, computer, TV, whatever the case may be, and, and something else that, that I have seen be a benefit to many people. I would say especially uh, within a married context. Uh, there are certain programs, certain softwares out there that uh, help people keep accountable. Covenant Eyes is probably... Uh, the one that gets most mentioned. I know people that use covenant eyes. Um, I, know, I know some men that maybe in the past they struggle with pornography and just, I, I know men that don't struggle with pornography. They have covenant eyes just because they want to show their wife how much they love them. And what covenant eyes does, you can set up a person to where, like most husbands do it with their wives, but it will email them a detailed uh, accounting of all your web activity, whatever websites you go to, whatever, and that way you just know that people are keeping tabs on it. I think that can be a very valuable thing, especially uh, if there is some struggle in this area. I wouldn't try to discourage that at all. We have to prevent that kind of access. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll just never overcome it. And I, I've told this story before, but it's very relevant to this situation. Uh, I, and I know this is just going to do wonders for my Alabama stereotype. But I had a friend of mine growing up, saved, loved the Lord, and uh, I mean, he had, he had been pretty much addicted to, to uh, tobacco since he was like 13, you know, he'd always have that Copenhagen in his lip, and we were about 17, and we're driving down the road, uh, just being teenagers, and he said, man, I want you to know, he said, I, he said, I quit dipping, he said, I, you know, I really just gave that Lord, and I, listen, I don't think that'll send you to hell, but it may send you to heaven a lot faster. And um, anyway, but, but it's just something he wanted to, to, to give to the Lord. And, and I said, man, that's great. You know, I'll, I'll be praying for you and everything. And so we, a few miles down the road, we stop at a gas station. And he gets out to pump gas, and I see that skull ring in his back pocket. And I said, what is that? He said, oh, that's just for emergencies. And unfortunately, he had a lot of emergencies. It lasted several years until he finally got serious, and he had to get rid of it. See, we, we, if we keep our temptation around for emergencies, we're going to have a lot of emergencies. Put you on the Lord Jesus Christ, may not provision for the flesh. Number two, not only are we going to have to prevent our access, um, we're going to have to purify our thoughts. And what I mean by that, there's, there's really two aspects to purifying our thoughts. You know, you're not just going to have a good thought life on accident. That's just like, I really want to lose weight, and I know it's just not going to happen through osmosis. It would be awesome if it did, but it's just not just going to happen by itself. And uh, the same thing with our thought life. 
There's two aspects to this. The first, uh, the first thing that's involved in a pure thought life is giving Christ our bad thoughts. You know, as a young Christian, I really did struggle with my thought life more so in my early Christian years than I do now, although I would say I have not arrived now. I live in this sinful flesh, and sometimes I have to say, Lord, take that from me. I don't want this. But one scripture that I memorized that, I, that really helped me, and this is a good practice to have, by the way, is memorizing scripture and using it. But 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And this is the really important part. All of it's important, but this is more pertinent, I guess I should say. And it says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. This verse literally says that if we're struggling with our thought life, that we need to cast them down, throw them down at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, take this from me. I don't want this. Lord, you can have it. Take it from me. I don't want it. You can have it. And I bet as a young Christian, as a, a teenager, I probably, man, there's no telling how many times a day sometimes I had to do that. But you know what? It worked. Eventually, uh, it worked. And by the way, it works anyway because... Uh, we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not even talking about salvation. That's, that was written to saved people. Not that we have to be completely cleaned again, but this area of our life, Lord, help me here. Lord, cleanse me here. It is a daily battle. It is a daily struggle. That's why you know, Christ said, take up your cross daily. That's why Paul said, I die daily. And so that's a great thought that we could cast them down and we could literally give them to God to give these bad thoughts and submit them to Christ. But, but the second part of this, purifying our thoughts, let me say it's not good enough, and this is what I didn't understand as a young Christian. It's not good enough just to say, I'm not going to have bad thoughts. That never works. Again, I've used this, but it's just so good. It's like if I say, all right, everybody, do not think of a pink elephant. Don't you, listen, don't you dare, in your, as you sit there in this church, don't you think about a pink elephant. And every person in this room, you just thought about a pink elephant, didn't you? See, it's not good enough just to say, oh, I'm not going to think about those things because as soon as you do that, guess what? You're thinking about those things. <laughs> That's why when I'm preaching against pornography, I know a lot of guys, and, and I'm not slamming this, I just don't necessarily agree with it. I know preachers, they'll get up there and talk 20 minutes about the stats of pornography and the negative effects on society and the brain and all that. All those are true and they're important, but the, guess what? The whole 20 minutes he's talking about it, if somebody's struggling with that, guess what they're thinking about? I prefer to talk about the grace of God over those things, the things that gives us victory over those things. And so not only must we give God our bad thoughts, but we must learn to think good, holy thoughts. Um, Part of this comes from spending time in the Word. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 11, it says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, I beseech you, which means beg. I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Uh, our mind renewal is a daily thing. It takes place in the Word of God. It takes place in our prayer to God. It takes place in the house of God. It takes place when we listen to good godly music that will put our mind in a good place. Uh, you know, and this isn't just true of sexual sin. I mean, this is just common knowledge stuff. You know, garbage in equal garbage out. I mean, if you're listening to trash music that glorifies everything that God hates, guess what you're going to be thinking about? I mean, it's just impossible to continue to have a steady diet of garbage and not have garbage out. I'm not, listen, I'm not trying to be a legalist. I'm just giving you some basic advice on what's going to hinder you from running the race that God has called you to run. By the way, in Hebrews 12, when it talks about when the Lord talks about us running our race for Christ, He, he talks about the things that will hinder us. And He mentions two things. The sin and the weight that does so easily beset you. In other words, there can be some things that may not be sinful, but they're still weighty. And they're still going to weigh us down from the things that God would have us to do. Um, Philippians 4 and verse 8, this is so important. He says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely and are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So you see, it's not just a command to cast down wicked imaginations, but it's also a command to think on pure and holy and lovely and just and good things. This is just such great practical advice on, from the Word of God on how to have victory in our thought life. Now listen, some examples of some good things to focus on would be Christ, salvation, heaven, our spouse and our family. And you know, when I think about Christ, not only do I think about Him ruling and reigning, and not only do I know that He sees everything that we do. That ought to sober us up right there. You know, sexual sin in general is a private thing, but it's not private from God. A lot of times it's a hidden thing, but it's not hidden from God, even our thought life. And, and so those are things to think about. But also, when I, whenever I mess up or whenever I sin against God or whatever the case may be, I instantly think about the fact that Christ wore that sin. Now, I get it. Christ died in the past, and He died for sin in eternity future. I get that. But I feel like I'm crucifying Christ afresh. I don't, I don't want to disappoint Him. It's, it's not that I'm afraid that He's going to throw a lightning bolt at me every time I mess up. He's my Father. If, I'm, if you're saved, He's your Heavenly Father. And although our Heavenly Father will discipline us as a father, he will, never, he will never punish us as a judge for the saved. Now, He will if you're lost. He will punish you as a judge, both in this life and the one to come. But uh, we need to understand uh, that we need to think on these good things. Uh, here's some other thoughts, some sobering thoughts we need to have. Uh, we need to think about the destruction that our sin would cause uh, to our lives and our testimony, to, uh, to our families, to our church, etc. 
Sin always leads to destruction. No one lives unto themselves and no one dies unto themselves. Our sin affects other people. But here's something else. Now listen. If there's somebody in here or somebody watching on the live stream or somebody that will listen to the archive when it hits the internet, if you're struggling with pornography, one of the greatest things that you can do to combat that is by destroying the fantasy. You know, pornography and sexual sin in general operates off fantasy. It paints a picture that many times is not true at all. And when it comes to pornography, uh, those adult film actors, and that's what they are as actors, uh, you need to understand those, those people are wrecked. I, I would be willing to bet that 100% of those girls in those films, they came from broken homes, they were probably sexually abused as kids. They have zero self-worth. They probably had no decent father figure in their life at all. They were taken advantage of them probably many times by multiple men. And they have just lost their soul. And so this doesn't seem like a very horrible step forward for them. It's awful. The, the abuse they endure, you're literally watching them be abused on camera. And that is absolutely true. And if you don't believe me... <laughs> Go look up some of these testimonies from some of these women who used to be in the porn industry and now they're saved and they talk about with tears in their eyes the horror that they went through. And yet, you're participating in that abuse. You're actually participating in their exploitation because if there was no money in it, it would go away overnight. Very dangerous thing. Also think about this. What if that was your daughter? What if that was your sister or your niece? Or God forbid, you know, there's male adult film stars too. What if it was your son? What if it was uh, your nephew or your grandson? God forbid. And yet, so many people that even claim the name of Christ participate in that garbage. You need to have the fantasy broken in your mind and in your heart. We must understand that pornography and sexual sin operate in fantasy. But then, I'm, I'm coming in for a landing here. The battle against sexual sin and impure thoughts can seem overwhelming, and it can be. It can be overwhelming, and that's a good thing, and I'm going to tell you why. Because when it comes to salvation, we cannot be saved until we become overwhelmed with the guilt and the weight of our sin. And what do we do? We cry out to God, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. So the weight of our sin became a good thing. Um, there are trials, there are storms that we go through that we realize we cannot handle on our own and it leads us to cry out to God, Lord, keep me safe till the storm passes by. God, would you give me your grace? Would you be near to me? Would you make your presence real to me? So our trials and our struggles can be a good thing because they drive us to the Lord. When it comes to struggles and temptations that we face in the sinful body, sometimes we need to realize that we cannot do it on our own and it will drive us to our knees and say, Lord, help me. Give me victory over this. I am my own worst enemy and I need your grace to overcome this. If there is ever a prayer that God would honor, it would be, Lord, give me victory over this temptation so that I might not sin against you. I wonder how many people are praying like that. Some might hear these things and say, but 
If I'm saved, why should I be struggling with these things? You know what's so interesting? This is such a paradox to me. I cannot tell you as a pastor how many times somebody has come to me and said, I'm I'm talking about good Christian people now, come to me and have said, Pastor Vaughn, uh, I'm just really, I just, I don't know if I'm saved. I'm just, I'm struggling with my assurance. And I say, well, why? Well, because I'm, I'm battling with this certain sin in my life. Most time it's not anything serious compared to other things that I might consider more serious. I mean, all sin is serious, but you understand what I'm saying. And uh, I just kind of smile at him and I say, well, let me ask you this. I said, did you ever struggle with that sin before you got saved? And without exception, the answer is always the same. No, there was no struggle. I just enjoyed it and gave into it. And I said, well, there you go. Before you were saved, there was no struggle. There was just submission. You just gave into it. You didn't care. It didn't bother you that you were sinning against God. But now you're concerned about it. Now it bothers you. Now there is a struggle. To me, that's one of the greatest evidences that a person is saved. So it is a struggle. I mean, look, we see this in Galatians chapter 5, the the battle of the Spirit and the flesh. These things are contrary one to another. And as long as we're on this earth, in this Adamic body, in this sinful flesh, there is going to be a battle. But thank God, one of these days, we're going to have a resurrected, glorified body with no temptation, no sinful nature. It's completely eradicated and will be like Jesus. Isn't that going to be wonderful? That's why the Bible says that one day we're going to see Him as He is and we're going to be like Him. The inference is we ain't like Him now. Not like we should be if I'm going to use my Alabama vernacular there. But as a pastor, look, what an encouragement for me to hear that people are fighting against sin. What What a blessing. What a blessing to walk in victory over sexual sin and lustful thoughts, but we will never do it outside of the power of God, through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. The world has gone insane with its sexual lewdness and there is nothing more beautiful and there is nothing that stands out more than people who have committed to sexual purity within marriage and within their single life, if that's your case. And so look, this this is something we don't just need to put off. We need to make effort to go to the other side here. We need to get victory over this. God promises that He will give it to us. Uh, I mean, look, I'm not... I'll close with this. this. I'm not just preaching this on an academic level. This is not something that I read in a book. This is something I dealt with as a young Christian. you got to understand, I was exposed to pornography at the age of 13. I went to a friend's house after school one day, and it was just me, my friend, and his dad. And his dad said, hey, boys, you want to you see some big boy stuff? Is that's what he called it. And he had us in there watching this hardcore garbage on TV, and that's how I pretty much learned about the birds and the bees right there in front of my eyes. And, man, that was a continual thing for a long time. And after I got saved, you know, there was times where it wasn't like I pursued it, but sometimes when it was in my face, I would, I would yield and I would just so... You know the difference though? A Christian can fall and a Christian can sin, but we can't enjoy it like a lost person. We can't stay there like a lost person. And I just had to say, Lord, I, 
Lord, forgive me. I don't want this. I, I, I don't want it. And I, I gave it to him, and I, mean, I, really, I can't even remember the last time. It's just something I, I don't struggle. And I thank God I don't struggle with it. And if I did, I would get rid of my phone, and I'd have to step down from the ministry. It's, it's that serious, y'all. I take it that seriously. And so you can get victory over this. But look, this wasn't just true in that part of my life. I want you to understand sanctification is a position we have in Christ from the moment of salvation, but practically it works its way out over time. Listen, y'all have no idea the temper I used to have. I thank God that y'all have never seen that. But, I mean, I'm talking about just, I was ready to fight. I mean, at the drop of a hat, and I did fight a lot when I was growing up. And um, I remember I, I had a filthy mouth when I got saved. I mean, I cussed every other word. I cussed so much at the age of 14 that I couldn't even hide it from my parents. I would say cuss words to them and not even think about it. And when I got saved, that stopped, like, instantly. But what I, what I found out, though, is there was moments when something would happen and I would snap and that temper would flare and I'd start cussing. I, I remember, it's so amazing how you remember stuff. I've been, I've been saved about two weeks. I hadn't said a cuss word in two weeks, which that's, that's a miracle. And I remember mom did something make me mad. I don't even remember what it was. But I do remember this. I was out in the, I was out in the garage, and she was standing at the, at the garage door going to the kitchen, and she said something made me mad or did something, and she, she walked in the house and shut the door, and there was a shovel right there, and I grabbed that shovel, and I just started banging it on the driveway, just cussing, you know. And as soon as I calmed down from that, I was so convicted about that. I, I had asked God to forgive me and help me, and then I went to apologize to my mom, and I've had victory over that for decades. But you see, you see what I'm talking about that? You say, well, I just thought you were perfect your whole life, Brother Brown. I'm sorry that I have shattered all of those <laughs> fantasies, but I'm just being transparent with you. There is victory over these things that we think we're never going to have victory, but we have to desire that. We have to give to God. and We can have victory over this thing.